0: Thank you so much, Nick. Just to say, before we get going into the message, um, in these warm summer days, hopefully, you might bring water with you. But we also have water available at the back. And there's not a problem at all if people need to get up and walk around and get a drink. I'd rather you did that than faint in the middle of my sermon. So. there's uh, jugs and there's glasses at the back. If you feel a bit hot at any point, feel free to go and get yourself some water. And also to say that we're encouraging people at the end uh, to spill out and have coffee outside. And just a reminder, you know, we cone off other than the disabled spaces, but you do just need to keep your eye on your children in that time, but encouraging us to, to be outside and enjoy the fresh air after the service. So we're continuing in this series, working our way through the Beatitudes that we've called the Bee attitudes because we're thinking about uh, how we're called to be in the world as followers of Jesus, and I'm really enjoying this series. It's been so good to dig into it and to get to grips with it. Uh, we've been learning that the Beatitudes are at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and as Nick read to us, Jesus takes his disciples. He takes them away from the crowd. He takes them up a mountain, and then he sits down, because rabbis would uh, sit when they taught. And so Jesus, up on the mountainside, sits, he assumes this position of authority on the hillside and then he brings this revolutionary teaching to his followers. And we've been learning that these Beatitudes are not just a list of how to behave and be good people. Absolutely not. Instead, they are radical teaching about God's upside-down kingdom. They're not instructions about how to strive better and how to earn God's favour by being good people, but instead a reminder that in God's upside-down kingdom of grace, actually, it's the ones who are messed up. It's the ones who are poor in spirit. It's the ones who mourn. It's the ones who don't have it together, who in some kind of topsy-turvy way are the ones who will be blessed. And as you can see here, we are up to number six out of eight. And we're looking today at blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus says that the route to seeing God is to be pure in heart. We've sung uh, with Sarah this morning. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. We want to know God more deeply. We want to see Him more clearly. That means, and the way for us to see God, we're told, is to be pure in heart. So today, I want to unpack this word heart for us a little bit and think about what it means. Then to be pure in heart. Now, we've heard a couple of mentions in this series about the difference between uh, connotations and denotations of words. Uh, Naomi Sheldrake started it. She's an English teacher. And she mentioned this to us. She talked about denotation being the literal meaning, and connotation is the idea or the feeling that we bring to a word. So, for example, blue is a colour, that's its denotation, but there are connotations as well, because someone might feel a bit blue. We might just use that to describe a sadness, for example. And this is really true with the word heart. The heart is a muscular organ in the body that pumps blood, that's the denotation. But the word heart has a whole load of other connotations and meanings. And I'd be interested to hear what comes to mind when you think of the word heart. What other senses is the word used? It's really wide-ranging. These are some that came to my mind of how we may use heart. We might think about kindness or compassion. She's got a real heart for people, we might say. Or courage. He never lost heart, even when it was tough. Or generosity. That teacher, that teacher's got a big heart. We use it to describe the innermost part of something. You might go into the heart of the forest. Uh, The most vital part of something. We need to get to the heart of the matter. And of course, the most well-known of all, love or affection. A heart symbol is an expression of love. I looked up the well-known red heart emoji that many of us use when messaging. And uh, according to Emojipedia, yes. (laughs) Yes, friends, Emojipedia is a thing. And yes, I did lose 20 minutes of my sermon prep time (laughs) down the rabbit hole that is Emojipedia and learnt a huge amount. The heart symbol is right up there in the most used in messaging or on social media. Here's the list of the top five. You can see if you have used any of those emojis in your text messages, your WhatsApps, any of your social media posts this week. Now, when we want to communicate love or appreciation or kindness or care, some of us send a little red heart to do the communicating for us. As an aside, do you or do you have anybody in your life who gets confused with emojis? My mother is terrible for this. She thinks that first one, you know the one where you're laughing so much it makes you cry, is actually when you're upset. And uh, look, at the, look at this message that she sent me this week. I mean, at least I know my mum. (laughs) And I said, Mum, you didn't send a message to Joan, did you? (laughs) (laughs) There are a whole range of connotations of the word heart. And this isn't dissimilar to how the ancient world saw the heart, far more than just a physical part of our body. The ancient world believed that it was the heart that was the very centre of our personality and our thoughts, our will and our character. When Moses speaks to God's people as they're about to enter the promised land in Deuteronomy, he makes this proclamation a little bit after the reading Andy opened the service with today. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So they're to love the Lord with all their hearts, and they're to have the commandments on their hearts. Now, Jesus picks this up in the New Testament, identifying it as the greatest commandment. And I want to show you a short clip from the Bible Project, which explains more about how the heart was understood by biblical authors, particularly in biblical Hebrew in the Old Testament. Have a look at this.
1: For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the fourth key word in this prayer, heart, which in Hebrew is sometimes pronounced levav, or more often in a shorter form, Lev. Now, different cultures throughout history have had different conceptions of how the human body works, and this is also true of the ancient Israelite writers of the Bible. They knew that the heart was an organ in the chest that sustains life. There's mention of a heart attack in the Bible, Naval, whose heart died inside of him and he became like stone. But the biblical authors talk about the heart in many other ways that might seem strange to modern readers, and that's because these Israelites had no concept of the brain or any word for it they imagined that all of a human's intellectual activity takes place in the heart. For example, you know with your heart in the Bible. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error, like Solomon did when he was king. So the heart is where you think and make sense of the world, and it's where you do more. In the Bible, the heart is where you feel emotions. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did when she couldn't have any children. In fact, the phrase a broken heart comes from ancient biblical Hebrew. You also experience fear in your heart. Your heart can melt or be distressed. Your heart can even be depressed. But then on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart or to have a heart of joy. So the heart is the generator of physical life, it's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life, and there's more. In Biblical Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. So David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Your heart is where your affections are centered, they're called the desires of your heart. And if you really want something and go after it, it's like what Nathan said to David, whatever is in your heart, go and do it. So then, in the Bible, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence, as in the well-known. Proverb, guard your heart because from it flows your whole life. Now, the prophet Jeremiah believed that the human heart was fundamentally broken. He said, the heart of a human is deceitful above all, irreversibly sick. Who can even understand it? He had watched a whole generation turn away from God. They started sacrificing their children as if that were a good thing. So this is why in the imagination of the Hebrew prophets, the only hope for humanity is the total renewal of the human heart. Moses predicted that if Israel was ever going to love their God, their heart would need to be circumcised, which is a very vivid and surprising metaphor about removing evil and stubbornness from the human heart. David, after he committed murder and adultery, pleads with God to create in me a pure heart. The prophet Ezekiel hoped for a day when God would remove the heart of stone and give his people a new heart of soft flesh, which is very similar to Jeremiah's hope that God would write the commands of the Torah on the hearts of his people. And that brings us all the way back to the Shema. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind, their feelings and their desires, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. (laughs)
0: Yeah, the Bible is fantastic, and I do recommend it as a resource um, to you. It's got um, overviews of all the books of the Bible, um, as well as um, word and thematic studies like that. It's got reading plans, it's great for families, it's really excellent, and I recommend it to you. And so all of this stuff um, helps us to understand what the Bible means by heart, which of course we need to get to grips with if we want to be blessed, because Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. It was the heart that was thought to be the centre of our personality, our will, and our character. And we know that we think with our mind now, here, today, but as Jesus is teaching, and he teaches about blessed of the pure in heart, the heart was about thinking, choosing, and deciding. And so a pure heart is about pure thinking, about pure choosing, and about pure deciding, Put simply, and I think this would be a good subheading for this message today the inside matters. It's what is inside that matters the most. Jesus is speaking at a time when there was debate about what it meant to be a religious community. The Pharisees were an influential Jewish group at the time of Jesus. They were very religious. They really wanted to honour God, and they did that through absolute obedience to the law. They had a strong focus on purity, and they taught that that was achieved by following the laws and the rituals in the Old Testament. And what's interesting is that despite pursuing purity, being pure and holy, which of course is what this beatitude is encouraging us to be. Jesus says to them, they don't measure up. Have a look in your Bibles at Luke chapter 11. Be good to look at this if you can, if you want to. Uh, It's good not just to hear the Bible, but to see the words too. Page uh, 1043, if you want to follow it. Luke 11. And this is what Jesus says. Um, Luke 11, uh, verses 37 to 41. Page 1043. When Jesus had finished speaking a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people! Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. He said, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is still grubby. Who would drink out of a cup that looked clean on the outside, but is is grubby on the inside? The Pharisees were focused on laws and rules. They were focused on this holiness, being holy on the outside. And Jesus is saying, it's the inside that matters. It's the heart that counts. When he talks about being pure in heart, Jesus is saying it's the inside that matters. And there are some things here that I think he's saying which can help us in our pursuit of pure hearts so that we will be blessed. And one of them is this idea that actually Jesus doesn't want performance, but purity. In this line of the Beatitudes, Jesus isn't creating a new rule to be holy. The Pharisees were making more rules. What does Jesus want? He wants changed hearts. It's no good cleaning the outside if the inside is still dirty. Now, he says something very similar and just as strong um, later in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 23. And he calls the Pharisees hypocrites. Matthew 23, verse 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, he says, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter... Nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Which is very strong language. And actually Jesus saved his strongest language for religious people who made it difficult for others to find or know God. I find that really challenging and sobering. People might be squeaky clean on the outside, but seriously lacking on the inside. On um, Wednesday, I went to the Festival Theatre to see a production there. It was called The Assassins. Um, I enjoyed it. Didn't fully understand it, but um, I enjoyed it. And I love having such a good theatre close to us. We try and go as often as we can. Um, Kevin will attest to this. When we were considering moving here um, from London, I looked around the city on the outskirts of London, and I remember thinking, there's a theatre and a lake land. I'm sold. I'll I'll go. Um, There wasn't a lake land anywhere near where we used to live, and I'm a lover of a kitchen gadget. Um, So we love going to the theatre. And it was interesting watching this production on... um, Wednesday, and seeing um, some characters, one in particular character that I knew uh, performing something else from other shows or TV. And of course, great actors are great because they can play multiple roles effectively, aren't they? So they're believable. In one production, you might see them on telly or something as a, in a really serious part. Then you might see them in a comedy role. And really good actors are versatile and very believable. Now, the word hypocrite That Jesus uses here, woe to you Pharisees, you hypocrites, comes from a Greek word that means play actor. It literally translates as an interpreter from underneath, which reflects that the ancient Greek actors wore masks, and so the actor spoke from underneath the mask. So a hypocrite is someone pretending to be something that he or she is not in order to receive recognition or gain. Jesus says, Stop play acting. I don't want your performance, you hypocrites. You are acting. You have a mask on. I don't care if the outside looks clean and believable. It's the inside that matters. I want pure hearts. In God's upside down kingdom, He says, Come. Come if you're thirsty. Come if you're needy. Come if you're poor in spirit. Lay down your performance and your striving. I see inside. True purity comes when we confess that we need God and we need his forgiveness. Those who realise that they're sinners, that Jesus is the one that we need, those are the ones who have a pure heart. In these words of Jesus, we also see that there is aspiration, a sense of aspiration but also invitation. Remember the framing of these Beatitudes? This isn't a list of virtues to aspire to because this upside-down kingdom is for the lost, the last, and the least. Now, this is one of those which is aspirational in a sense as we look to be pure in heart before God. But if we've strived for it, we've missed the point. We've missed the point of the upside-down kingdom of grace that is freely given to us. Far more than aspiration, there is invitation. Christianity is not a worldview to believe, but a person to love. Christianity is not a worldview to believe in, but a person to love. It is not believing about Jesus and doing good things because we feel we ought to. But loving him and trusting him as he invites us. He wants our hearts, hearts towards him, is the path to true flourishing in the kingdom. Blessed are those who realize that their faith is not a performance, but is dependent on God's grace. They are the ones who will see God, not the most devout or outwardly holy, not tied up with what we do, but those people who say yes to this wonderful invitation. And then, of course, as we respond to this invitation, as we journey with Jesus, this process of what we sometimes call sanctification, this process where God makes us more holy, we become cleaner and we become purer. And then finally, as Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he reminds us to direct our hearts to one thing. I'll suggest that there is nothing that impacts our life more than the content of our heart. Proverbs 4:23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Or some translations: guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Like the central water supply that provides goodness. What is in our hearts then flows out. And just before Jesus speaks about not keeping the outside of the just keeping the outside of the bowl clean, earlier in Luke 11, he says, "Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. When our eyes are healthy, our body is full of light. We're to guard our hearts, being mindful of the things we feed our eyes." and our hearts. If it's easier to see God when our hearts are pure, then it's harder to see him, it follows, when we fed our hearts and our eyes and our minds with darkness. There's a challenge here to think about what we put into our hearts and our minds. Things we watch, things we read, things we scroll through, things we dwell on and think about. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish theologian, said purity of heart is to will one thing. And I find this a helpful summary thought, really, I think. Being pure in heart is helped not by focusing on all the things we shouldn't be doing, but orientating our hearts to one thing. Isn't it a liberating thought, perhaps, as you go into this week, that maybe we could think, rather than saying no to lots of things, because we want to be blessed and be pure in heart, Instead, we say yes to one thing. Devotion to Jesus, saying yes to one thing. And if our love and our hope and our trust is oriented towards Jesus, then the other desires get reoriented too. We learn to see the world through the lens of our love for Jesus as we respond to his great invitation. So where have we got to? The heart is the centre of where we think and feel and choose and decide. Jesus says the inside matters. That's the big idea. Blessed are the pure in heart, the ones who know they're not called to performance, but to purity, not just to aspiration, but to respond to his glorious free invitation. And those who direct their hearts to one thing, who know their faith is entirely dependent on God's grace, And who choose to say yes to that one thing. They are the ones. We are the ones who will see God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Invite the band to come back and we'll pray. And then we'll have some worship to help us to respond. Let's give you a moment to reflect on what God may have been saying to you this morning? What's your takeaway thought? What's the, the impression you're left with? What is he saying to you today? The inside is what matters. So, why don't you lay down any striving or desire to perform, do the right thing, and look good and appear holy? Let's lay that down. Lord, we are sinners in need of forgiveness. Help us to respond to your glorious invitation for a fresh start and for purity of heart as we say, yes, please, thank you to your good news in our lives. Maybe you want to just confess anything you have fed your eyes or your heart or your mind with that you know has brought darkness rather than light. Help us go into this week not saying no to lots of things but saying yes to this one thing love and devotion to you